Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. If secret gold vaults in Asia, offshore bank accounts in tax havens, investing in timber plantations in Central America, obtaining a second passport, speaking multiple languages, and first-class travel around the world excite you, then you must pick up a copy of my brand new book, Expat Secrets, on Amazon today. Just go to expatsecretsbook.com. That's expatsecretsbook.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest is a New York Times bestselling author, the number one sales trainer in the world, and an internationally renowned speaker on leadership, real estate, investing, entrepreneurship, social media, and finance. He has founded and operates privately held businesses that have sales just shy of half a billion dollars and a personal net worth of nine figures. He was voted one of the top five CEOs in the world and is considered one of the top social media influencers ever. Please welcome to the show, Grant Cardone. Grant, how are you? Hey, brother. How you doing, man? I'm well, man. How are you? Good, good, good. Great, great to be here, man. What, what does it mean? What's the expat? What's the expat? So the expat basically is people who are living overseas of their country of birth. So I've been overseas for 20 years. I know that you've traveled around and moved your businesses in different places in the United States. You went uh, from California in like a really high tax jurisdiction over to Florida, which is a lot lower tax. You know, we've taken it a step further. I live out in the Middle East where we have zero income tax. Yeah, where are you? I'm in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, dude, I'm going to be there. When are we going to be there? Like next three weeks. we got to hook up when I'm there. We will definitely hook up. So a lot of people know your backstory. A lot of people have heard your backstory. So I don't want to spend too much time of that, but maybe just something really, really brief, how you got into sales, how you got to where you are. And then I want to jump in with some mindset stuff because your contrarian views about money are fantastic and they've actually influenced me and my business and my life quite a bit. So I'm really excited to hear that kind of stuff. Yeah. So uh, backstory is like, you know, I'm just, I'm just a everyday guy. Like I, I grew up the way everybody else did, uh, you know, good family, decent family. I mean, good family. I, I had love and, 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 and the heaters and air conditioning and we weren't rich by any means, but we had, we, we weren't poor either and we were comfortable. Right. Um, and my dad died when I was 10. I couldn't help. My mom was terrified when my dad died. He was the provider. So when he died, my mom, I could feel the fear for my mother. Uh, and I couldn't do anything about it. That was five extremely, maybe six extremely excruciating years for me because I could see that my mom, even at 10 years old, I could see my mom suffering and there was nothing I could do about it. Or, or so I thought. And uh, I, I promised myself when I was 16, I said, one day I'm going to get rich. I'm not going to get comfortable. I'm not going to be a middle class. I'm not going to be successful. I'm going to get rich. And I'm never going to have this experience of this constant, um, chronic fear about money. And I even told my mom at 16 years old, I said, one day I'm going to be super successful. I'm going to get rich and I'm, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm not going to ever have to put up with all this stuff that we do. Like I would watch my mom clip coupons. She had this drawer. I still remember exactly the location of the drawer, the color of it, the whole deal. Right. And she had coupons, dude. And this thing was stacked with coupons. And before she went to the store, she would spend 
15 or 20 minutes figuring out, okay, what's on sale today. And I understand that. Like I, I totally get it. And I was, as much as I disagreed with it at 16, by the time I was 36, I was still doing it. The very, the very thing, it's an interesting thing. The thing that I was resisting, I ended up adopting as a, a way to handle money. And, and even when I was successful in my mid thirties, I had made, I had made, uh, I had had my first business when I was 30. By the time I was 33 or so, I was a million, I had a million dollars put in a bank account. I was like, wow, dude, I got a million dollars. Just one day I looked at it and I said, wow, I've accumulated $1 million. Mm-hmm. And I was still clipping coupons. Yeah. And that would go on then for another, I guess, eight or nine years struggling with how am I going to, I know a lot of people hearing this right now are going to be like, dude, I have a million dollars, dude. What are you worried about? I was worried about everything. In fact, I was more worried about money once I got a million dollars than I was worried about money before I got it. Because now I realized I had miscalculated it all. Like a million dollars, no offense to anyone, it's no money. Mm-hmm. It's just no money. Like uh, anybody that's retiring right now, like if you're 60 years old, you got a million dollars, just do the math on a million dollars. If you don't have any more income coming in, you're going to be worried about how you spend and manage and delegate that money. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, absolutely. If it's sitting in the bank, it's not growing, it's not passive income, this is not actually generating wealth. For sure. It's, it's going to go pretty fast. Everything must, everything must populate in order to survive, right? Mm-hmm. So it, people, the French people, uh, I think there's, they're, they're, they've broken the, the 1.2. Um, there's a number, a growing population, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, a civilization has to populate over 1.6 to continue to grow. When mm-hmm. it breaks 1.2 per household, birth, uh, it will cease to exist. It can't, it can't reverse it no matter what it does. Yeah, there's absolutely negative birth rates in places like Japan or in lots of European countries. Italy's, Italy's dying. Uh, yep. One of the most beautiful countries on the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Japan's another issue. America's moving into this. Watch what, watch what happens in America when 80 million uh, baby boomers either start dying or start moving to Panama or Dubai, wherever they're moving to, to avoid the the, the IR and the S. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and I want to talk about uh, some of your ideas with taxes and stuff like that, because I was watching your video of your jet, but maybe we'll save that for a few minutes from now. Talk to me a little bit first about a little bit more about the, the poor person's mentality, because I've heard in some of your programs where you give people shit because they're worried about uh, leaving their their lights on in their house or something and stuff like that stresses them out and it's like you shouldn't be worrying about that you should be out there trying to generate revenue yeah you're worried about gravity man like like you know and and i'm just telling people this because it trapped me like i'm not i'm not telling people i'm not telling people they're wrong i'm telling people i was wrong Mm -hmm. so i was worried about the electricity dude like literally i bought a house in La Jolla, California. Uh, and I'm like, oh my God, it was $850,000. It was the biggest purchase I ever made in my entire life. I moved in. It's La Jolla, California, dude. It's one of the best pieces of real estate in, in the, maybe in the world. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough to buy a house there. And I was like, hey, I need to see what the electric bill is. Like, it's completely insane, right? <laughs> like, well, it's, I don't know. I don't remember what it was, 60 bucks a month. What, whatever, this is 20 years ago. So, so I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's $700 a year. Like, what do you, I was worried, always worried about the wrong thing. And, and a lot of it is we're doing this because we're told by Wall Street and banks to, to worry like this. Uh, you hear Susie Orman and financial planners. You, you know, I grew up where if you put more air in your tires, you would save gas. This is the CNN smart <laughs> money tip of the week. Yeah. Okay, get get over 32 uh, uh, PSI in your tires and you will save. Save what, dude? And by the way, why are we always worried about saving? You know, we're always trying to save rather than create. And, and that's been the big switch for me. Okay, uh, you know, the old saying, wherever I go in the world, I'm going to be in Dubai in three weeks and I'm going to be like, 
I'm going to be speaking to an audience. I'm going to be like, finish the statement. A penny saved is? Penny earned. Everybody knows it all over the world. It doesn't matter where you go. Yeah. The truth is a penny is a penny. Yeah. It's a penny. Okay. A house ain't a dream. A house is a house mm -hmm. with a 30-year mortgage. And it never makes money. So, uh, uh, you know, having money in the bank, ca cash is king. These are all, these are all just lies mm -hmm. that have been perpetuated onto society to trap people. Uh, the, the, uh, the banks say that cash is king. Where, where did that come from? Who said that cash was king? Everybody's like, I'm storing cash up. For what, dude? It's worth nothing. Mm -hmm. Okay. It can be burnt. It can be torn. It can be lost. Like a lot of stuff can happen to cash. Pablo Escobar proved that cash was actually a liability. So, so cash flow, by the way, cash flow would be, you know, the holy grail if we're talking about money. Like cash flow, ca cash moving in, new cash flow, positive, particularly passive income, would be uh, much more kingly than cash itself. So these are just some things that I've discovered from studying money for the last 30 years. You know, to make a big change, you got, you got, you, you don't need, most people don't need new information. They need to strip away the lies. So talk to me then some of those lies. Talk to me about some of those other things because these are really important stuff. I'll give you one. Like, like, um, there was a guy I was in Los Angeles, a guy from the Middle East. And, and he said to me, he's like, uh, he's like, Hey man, I saw this video that you do about, uh, Homes are liabilities, not assets. I'm like, well, yeah, they are, dude. He's like, I can't, like, he's like, I saw this video four months ago. Every time I think about you, I think about you and I think about my uncle, my, mm -hmm. his, his real uncle. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you're telling me don't buy a house. And my uncle's saying, oh, you definitely got to buy a house. And I said, dude, a house, houses were built for banks. They weren't built for people. Mm -hmm. Okay. They, they, they built the, the, the um, like dog bones. I don't know that a dog actually likes a dog bone, but it's good for the pet store. <laughs> okay. I think dogs would like the real thing. But, you know, a Labrador will eat anything. Shit, it, you know, it'll just, just give it something to chew on. It'll start chewing. So, and that's the same thing with human beings. We, we, we go for dog bones. You know, who makes all the money on a house? The bank makes all the money on a house. You're lucky to make 1% on a house by the time you've been there 20 years. If you make 20% on a house over 20 years, you'll probably make it all in one year, by the way. Mm -hmm. In the other 19 years, it doesn't do anything. Mm -hmm. The bank made 6%, 5 to 6% every year. Yeah, and then inflation gobbled up whatever. Your buying power is crap compared to what it was before. Yeah, exactly. So there wasn't even a 20% gain on the house because of inflation, right? But, but, you know, if I tell people, man, a house is not an asset, you should rent where you live and you should own property that you can create cash flow with. Mm -hmm. uh, so th these are some of the lies that we're told, you know, leave cash in the bank. H how about the mutual funds? D diversify your investments. You need to be in a fund where you're in 120 different investments. Nobody has ever gotten rich like that. People conserve their wealth once they get rich by doing that. But you don't diversify to create financial freedom. You diversify because you're going into protection mode. Mm -hmm. And when you're in protection mode, you're, when you're playing defense, you don't create. You don't grow on defense. It's impossible. You cannot put a score on the board playing defense. I mean, every once in a while, I guess you can, if, you know, if you intercept. But, but most likely, you're not going to advance your position in life by playing the savings game, the retirement game, the ETF game. So then how do you create this millionaire mindset, these things that you talk about? Like what, is, what can normal people do to start thinking more in these terms? Start, start thinking about you can. You mm. know, the, the old adage about you can. I think most people are trying to save because they, they don't think they can create massive wealth or financial freedom. Forget massive wealth. I mean, I don't even know what that number is. It's, it's, it's so enormous that like, but, but let's just go for financial freedom. Okay. Like, like if I'm talking to a group of uh, 500 people and I say, Hey, what is financial freedom? I'll guarantee you 99, 499 people out of 500 are going to be lost on what that number is. The exact number it would require for a person to have financial freedom. Mm -hmm. 
So how are you supposed to actually get that if you don't even know the numbers yourself? Well, yeah, like, like nobody ever does the math. What are we doing math on? Budgets, a budget, a budget. Even the concept of a budget is a defensive strategy. Mm -hmm. Okay, Johnny, Johnny's going to figure his budget out. How does he figure it? He takes, he takes his expenses, which he didn't do anything. Like expenses are something that happened to you. I bought a car. I rented an apartment. Uh, I went to the store. I got to eat, unfortunately. Wish I didn't have to. It takes a lot of time and a lot of money. So I had to eat. I had to put uh, clothes on my kids. The, the government forces me to send my kids to school. So I have to fund all those things. That's the budget. But people are putting their attention on the wrong part of their income statement, which is their income. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're doing a budget statement and I'm doing an income statement. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, how much income do I need from how many different sources uh, so, so that I can fund all activities? In fact, fund the life I want, not the budget mm -hmm. I have, right? The budget's a trap. So how much money do I need to create? And, and by the way, I don't need the money. I, it's not like I have the money. Nobody starts with the money. I need to go out and get, who's going to pay for this jet? Somebody <laughs> else, I don't have the money to pay for a jet. Oh. Right? Somebody else can fund that activity if that activity is good for me and good for them. How do I raise money for a charity? All this money, all money comes from other people. You know, they built Dubai on other people's money. Yep, true. Absolutely. And other people's money doesn't mean it's a scam or a scheme or, or, or banks are involved. It means I go, I built my real estate business. We have over a billion dollars worth of real estate today, maybe $1.2 billion. I built that on other people's money. When I tell people that, I'm like, what does it mean that I built my, my, real, estate in, my real estate empire on other people's money? Uh, well, you raise money. Oh, you're raising money at Cardone Capital. That, I said, no, that's not other people's money. Other people's money was when I was 30 years old, knocking on doors, selling my services to a customer, mm -hmm. convincing him to buy my services and give me $3,000 for my services. I delivered the services. I kept the three grand, lived on part of it, and took the, 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 the thousand dollars that was left over and bought real estate with it. That's what I mean by other people's money. But so when you bought real estate, you didn't just go out there and buy a one bedroom apartment as soon as you could get enough cash for it. Didn't you save up? And then when you went in, you went in heavy? Yeah. So I bought, I made a mistake. My first deal was a mistake. I bought a one unit property. It was two bedrooms. Uh, I think it was two bedrooms. Joe, yeah, it was uh, $78,000. I put three grand down. I bought it on a budget, dude. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I bought what I could afford. Now, now I'm just I'm I'm just gonna take a moment for everybody to understand this. Just let it sink in. I bought what I could afford. Buying what you can afford does not mean you bought the right thing, mm -hmm. particularly when it comes to investing. Right, a, a piece of real estate is going to be something you own a long time. A strawberry is going to be something you need to eat this week. Mm -hmm. So, look, I got real estate that lasts longer than most marriages last. Like it, I, I could have some of this stuff 30, 40, 50, hundreds of years. Particularly people in your part of the world understand this because that part of the world is older. Maybe not where you live today, but you go to Japan, they think about 300, 400 years, man. Mm -hmm. So when I bought that first property, I bought it because I had three grand. I put that down, told the bank I was going to live in it. I didn't. I never intended on living in it. I intended to rent it. Mm -hmm. I rented it to two sisters. I was making a couple hundred bucks a month. Thought I was going to be a king. Mm -hmm. I got it. I, I, I'm, I, I'm the guy. I'm the man. And then they moved out, and the man wasn't the man anymore. <laughs> the man was the bitch. Because now I'm terrified. I'm like, damn, I got a payment, and I don't have any renters. Mm -hmm. And then I realized... Like in four months into being in real estate, I realized, oh, dude, one door doesn't work. I'm dependent upon one renter. So I sold that deal and then went and started researching what I didn't understand. I spent three years shopping real estate every weekend, every night, every time I had a free second. Probably the most valuable education I ever got was those three years. It has been worth hundreds of millions of dollars. For me. Might, might end up making me a billionaire. Going to make my kids a billionaire for sure. Because every week 
for three years, I shopped, looked at profit and loss statements, looked at deals, went through deals, called brokers, talked to people. Uh, and, and, and while I was looking and learning, uh, I was accumulating cash for my business. Mm-hmm. That cash would sit in the bank, even though I hate money sitting in the bank. It was sitting there with a purpose. I was basically storing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 and then, and then when I bought my first real deal, I put $350,000 down on my first real deal. It was a $2 million property. Uh, and I think that first deal made me three or four, maybe $5 million. You still own that one today or you got rid of it? Uh, no, I shouldn't have sold it, man, but I did <laughs> the money to buy a bigger deal. Yeah. Fair enough. So you traded up. Yeah. It took me three years to buy my first real deal. And then I bought a deal in Vista, California for $3.8 million. 30 days later, I bought a second deal. It was 48 units. And three months after that, I bought 92 units. And I was, just, I was off to the races. Out of cash, by the way, in, in, in four months, I, did, I took all the cash. I had, I had about a million dollars in cash, 33 yeah. years old. Took the entire million dollars and invested in these three deals. But it's interesting when you talk about real estate, because a lot of times, like we, to go back a minute, we talked about how, you know, your home is not an asset, but when you're buying real estate and you're buying multiple doors, people seem to get confused about these two different things, about cash flow or about a liability or where they're living. So these are important parts that people need to understand. Yeah. So look, rather than buying, rather than using my cash to buy a place to live in, and I did that, by the way, I had a house when I was doing all this. I had a house in Houston, Texas. I bought, I bought the little single family place, rented it to the two sisters and followed that up with a purchase for myself. Mm-hmm. Both of them were ter- terrible. Mm-hmm. Okay. The first one I had to sell because the tenants moved out. The second one I had to live in because I signed a 30 year note. Dude. <laughs> okay. When I was ready to move my, my, my domicile where, where I was operating from Houston to La Jolla, where I ended up making my first real estate money. Mm-hmm. I couldn't move when I wanted to because I had this house and I couldn't sell it. I'm waiting for somebody to buy it, right? I actually ended up moving without that house being sold. So then I'm moving to California worried about this one place. Mm -hmm. Uh, I bought that second house with no money. So it's like, to me, it's like, oh man, I'm good. I got no money in it. You know, I think I bought it under market, but the whole time I'm worried, I'm back to being 15 again and worried all the time. And so when I tell people, look, dude, don't buy a house. Take the money that you would use to buy a house and go buy 25 units. Okay. Use that equity to buy 25 units that will throw you off six or seven or 8% a year while you wait for it to go up and rent a really nice house. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if you're wasting money on this house. You waste money on a lot of stuff. Right? Like, I don't know why people think they have to buy a home. When you want groceries, you go to the store. You don't buy a grocery store. Right? When you, when you go to the hospital because you've got something wrong with you, you don't buy the hospital. You go there and try to get out as fast as you can. True. So, so when you go to the movie theater, or most people don't even go to the movie theater now. They just say, hey, dude, I just want to rent a movie. I don't even want to own the movie. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to living someplace, they're like, oh, I, can't, I can't rent where I live. Well, because it's such an emotional attachment for a lot of people. I think that people feel like if they're going to put time and effort and energy into a place to live, then they need to own it. So I think that's something that people need to overcome as well. Yeah. So it's, you know, look, I I don't know any rich people, super wealthy people talking about their house making them rich. We find one guy that says, this house is the thing that was the Mac Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> no, they don't. Warren Buffett bought one house his whole life. Okay, Mark Cuban yeah. doesn't talk about his home. Mm-hmm. It, you know, yeah, wealthy people will show their home off. They'll have parties at their home. They'll do check charity events at their home. None of them talk about this is what made me who I am today. Mm-hmm. It's just not the play. And I think a lot of people are confused. They think this is where I'm going to make money. You know, and and it's not. It's it's just not true. It's just a it, it's a lie on society that has been adopted by generations that says own where you live. Don't make the landlord rich Mm -hmm. by renting. And, and your, your parents basically 
didn't understand the concept. You know, my dad told me, own your house. Don't rent where you live. You're going to make the landlord rich. My dad did not. He understood 80% of the formula. The last 20% was this, be the landlord. Mm-hmm. And you only got so much money. You can't buy everything. You can't, you can't buy, like, you got to make a decision. Like, I want my investments to go all in on something. When I, when I find the right vehicle for me, I push all my money on that bet. Mm-hmm. I don't want my bet spread out. Right. I'm not diversifying. Well, wealthy people like pick a name. Mark Zuckerberg did not get wealthy diversifying his investment. He was all in on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Cuban made his first money on one deal. Yeah. He, he might protect himself later diversifying. Warren Buffett, he created his wealth in his 50s. His first wealth was created because he made an investment on one company, not many companies. So talk to me then about some of the other things in the millionaire mindset. What are these other switches that people need to get over? Uh, you know, do, do the math. Do the math on what, what does it take to make a million dollars? How many different ways could you make a million dollars? Or do you even need to make money? Mm-hmm. Like even me saying you got to make a million dollars. You can't actually make a million dollars. You'll go to jail for making a million dollars. In Dubai, they'll probably cut your hands off. <laughs> So, so you can't make money. That, 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 that's an unnecessary, like people need to start shifting everything they're saying to themselves. Dude, I need to collect money. I don't need to make it. There's already so much money on this planet. It's unbelievable. There's money everywhere. I mean, one problem is there is so much money. So the thing, the thing to do is like, I need to find out who's got that money and make that connection. Mm-hmm. I need to work more on connection. Who do I know and who knows me? Mm-hmm. Okay, so so how do I make strong connections with people? I'm not talking about becoming a salesperson or becoming a you know a 24-hour uh, uh, advertisement. Who knows me and who do I know? How can I connect with the right people so that I can actually get my money right? And, and um, so that's one thing. I, I would do the math. How many different directions? How many different ways are there to create financial freedom on this planet? I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Real estate's one way. Okay, so talk me through then your wealth creation formula because I don't want someone to listen to this and then go, okay, well, there's a million different ways to make money, so therefore I'm going to go out there and try a million different things. My new book, Expat Secrets, is based on my own experiences from traveling to more than 100 countries over the last 20 years of being an expat. There's no fluff in this book, just actionable advice from someone who leads this type of lifestyle every single day. So if you want to pay zero taxes, live overseas, and make giant piles of money, then I want you to grab a copy of my brand new book, Expat Secrets, on Amazon today. Just go to expatsecretsbook.com. That's expatsecretsbook.com. Yeah, and I agree with that. I think people should, you should figure out something that makes sense to you. Uh, uh, something easy to explain to others. You know, if you look at crowdfunding today, the, the, the one place where crowdfunding has worked a thousand times, maybe 10,000 times better than any other space is real estate. Mm-hmm. They, they, they predicted that crowdfunding using social media to raise money would be worth like upward $100 billion. It hadn't even got close to that. The, the, the one place that performed well, better than every other space combined, is real estate. Why? It's simple. I can touch it. I can see it. It's easy to understand. It produces a cash flow, possibility of appreciation. It pays down debt over long periods of time. Like It's just an easy thing to under, uh, explain. Uh, uh, versus, I created this app. Okay. Or, hey, crypto. We got the crypto thing, right? Like, like. Those might be things that work out really well. I don't. I don't know. I just know this: the real estate thing has worked for thousands of years. Like people, it just like hits them. We've raised 180 million dollars on real estate for investors in 18 months. Now, why is that? One, I have an audience. Two, I believe in real estate. It, it's not complicated. I'm not a complicated person. The moment I can't understand something, I don't invest in. It. If it's not easy to understand. Uh, hey guys, we buy this piece of property called Water Jug. It's on Water Jug 
uh, it's on 2121 water jug and it's got, uh, it's got uh, 10 pieces of 10 apartments in it. And, and those 10 apartments do a thousand dollars a month and they've never been vacant over the last 24 months. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to go in and fix the kitchens and we're going to raise the rents 200 bucks. And we think we're going to pay our investors 6% per year. And we're going to pay them each month in cash flows. And then we're going to take it and turn this deal. We're going to improve the value of it and sell it later for X. Mm-hmm. That's the plan. You want to be in it or not? Oh, by the way, I already bought it. How about let's simplify it one more level. Yeah. I already bought water jug. I own water jug. I have water jug rented. Here's my tenants. This is what they're paying me. Would you like to invest with me? I already bought the deal. And mm-hmm. that's how I'm making so much money because it's easy to understand. And people don't have time to go buy real estate. Most people don't have time to understand the stock market. Mm-hmm. And this is what Wall Street does. You guys don't have time to understand 10,000 stocks. So you know what you do? Give us your money. And what we'll do is we'll decide where it should go. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, we're going to turn it into all kind of, we're going to do, we're going to go to our chemistry lab. And we're going to take the stocks of these companies. We're going to put them in a Vitamix machine. We're going to mix them up, turn it into a protein drink. We, nobody knows what's in it. Yeah, it's true. And you just cross your fingers and we'll give you a, we'll give you a little squeeze every quarter, maybe. Yeah. Or we'll send you a statement and we'll tell you what your money's worth in 30 years. Check back with us. So, so that's Wall Street, right? Wall Street's got their little, they got their, their, their little drug factory and they've been selling it well. Okay. The banks have got housing. They're having trouble selling houses right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the housing industry suffering. People are starting to wake up to this thing. This dude this is a trap. Millennials, people your age are like, dude, I don't want to own a home. Mm-hmm. I want to travel the world. So, People need to undo, man. They need to undo. Hey, what don't I know? Why are so many people, why is so many people not have money on this planet? That many people cannot be wrong. Okay? That many people could have the wrong information, though. And this is my contention. It's not that people are wrong. It's not that people don't want to be rich. It's not that people can't have financial freedom. People have the wrong data. Well, because if... People are pulling you in every different direction. Like today we're talking, you know, mindset of millions and your favorite vehicle is real estate. But you turn on the talk, the news or something like that and you have the talking heads and they're talking about this company and Lyft's IPO and this one over there. I was involved in the stock market for seven years. I think at the end of seven years, I was probably lost money or broke even after all of that time, energy, effort, trying to understand these things. And I honestly think that they're a bunch of liars anyway. Lyft is a perfect example. Two weeks ago, Lyft went public, $72. I think it rolled up to about 78 or so. Yep. Okay, it's $59 this morning. Nobody's talking about Lyft has lost 20% of, of investors' value. Moms, dads, uncles, aunts, nurses, teachers, policemen. 20%. Nobody's running around. What did they do, dude? They went to, they moved to uh, Zoom that's up 15 or 20%. And all they do is talk about how Zoom's up. They'll spend yeah. one second talking about Lyft being down, but they're not saying it's down 20, 22%. Mm-hmm. So, so the stock market is like the casino. Okay. Almost no one leaves a casino saying they were a loser. Mm-hmm. How'd you do? Uh, you know, yeah, it, it wasn't great, man, but they don't tell you the truth. They even lie to their spouses. Yeah. Yeah. I loses 1200. He tells, I, th- I lost a couple hundred, mm-hmm. but I had a good time. Yeah, but that one time that he made $10,000, he'll be talking about it for 20 years. He's still got the money in his, in his safe. Yeah. You know, um, so you're right, dude. Like, like people are not being told the truth. Mm-hmm. And people are not paying attention to their money. Mm-hmm. So how can you pay attention to your money when you got it all in the house? There's $5 trillion in America in equity in homes. Five trillion dollars yeah trillion is a number that we can't even understand as human beings the number is so large it's you can't even write it out the first time correctly without checking your zeros right you're like <laughs> do i have too many or not enough probably not yeah. enough so five trillion if five trillion dollars was earning five or six percent a year rather than nothing it's earning nothing right now it is going down in value okay mm-hmm. so 
I know some of the listeners are like, how's it going down in value? Dude, it's not even keeping up with inflation. Mm-hmm. Okay, a better investment than a house would have been if you would have supported, if you could have figured out some way to go long on college tuition. Okay, it, it, I think they're up like 23% a year or something compared to what a house has done. 1% for the last 40 years is what housing's done in America. Mm-hmm. Single family homes. So <clears throat> I would just say, look, people need to start looking. I, I look at my money every day. Mm-hmm. Every day I get, a, I get a sheet of paper with my finances, my, my financial, uh, the, the cash accounts, every mm-hmm. cash account that I have. I'm not worried about my assets. I'm worried about those cash accounts. So you don't track net worth or something like that? Like that's traditionally what people would track would just be net worth. No, I let everybody else search my net worth on the internet. (laughs) What's Cardone worth, okay? Like nobody, like whatever. It's just a dumb number, okay? Because it it, it has no reality. Like their net worth is just an ego. It's an ego statement. It's not, I mean, show me my money right now. How much cash do I have that I can purchase a vehicle that can produce more cash mm-hmm. or they can save me more time or they can reduce my tax bill. Well, that's a good segue because I want to talk about your jet. I watched the video. I think either it was either live or the very next morning or something. As soon as the video, I watched that jet come in and you know what? I was happy for you. I was so excited. I, I showed my mom. I showed all my friends. I was like, this is amazing. Talk to me a little bit about the jet. Did you have some people hating on me because of it? Some of your <laughs> friends? Yeah, but who needs them? I know you heard that. Yeah. Yeah, so well, tell your mom hello for me. Um, maybe I'll get her on the plane one day. There we go. Um, did the jet, okay, like this is the best, best thing I ever bought in my life because it buys me something more valuable than money. You know, it buys me time. And it buys me the ability to go wherever I want. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, uh, my wife, my wife got this gig this weekend in LA. I'm going to be in Orlando Friday. And when I'm done with the gig on Friday, I'm going to fly to LA to drop, bring her to LA so she can do this, uh, this big power chick power player, Kelly Clarkston, my wife and two other chicks. So they can be there and do this interview, right? I can fly her in there and fly her out. Um, the internal revenue service loves my plane. <laughs> okay, talk to me because you had a plane before and then you bought a new one. What, what, what was people are going to ask, what, what was wrong with the last one, Grant? Nothing, nothing was wrong with the last one. It was all right. <laughs> uh, uh, so the other one was a Gulfstream 200. It was a nine passenger jet. It was a great plane. Okay. And uh, it was the end of what? What year are we in? 19 right now? So yeah. 18. I guess it was the end of 17. And I had a tax bill, a big, the biggest tax bill I've ever had in my life. It was massive. (laughs) It was December the 14th. And we had come off the best year I'd ever had. And I, I had this, a call with my accountant and he's like, Hey man, you're, you're going to owe X. I'm not going to even say it here because people would just, you can say it. My meter will go like, what? (laughs) So he, uh, he says, I said, dude, what can we do about it? And he's like, there's nothing you can do about it. I said, excuse me? He's like, there's nothing we, you can do about it. I said, thanks. Thanks a lot, John. John Cooper, by the way. Click, hung up on him. I'm like, hey, there's got to be, there's always something you can do about it. All my Scientology friends, they always say this. There's always something. That's why I love those guys. There's always something that can be done about it. Okay, I'm like, I love that saying. There's always something that can be done about it. And so I started doing some research. I'm like, hey, man, what can I do about this? Okay, if, if I can do something about it, what can I do about it? And then I start writing down stuff, okay? Well, I could give it all away to charity. I called John back. John, if I give all of it away to charity, by the way, I'd rather give it to charity than give it to the I, the R, and the S. Definitely. <laughs> okay. I would rather give it to any charity, like whatever. And, and uh, he says, okay, if you give that much to charity, you can only write off uh, 50% of it because of your income will only allow X. And I said, okay, okay. He's like, so you're going to spend this to save that. And you're going to still owe blank. I said, okay, I'll call you back later. I hung up on him. And then I'm like, man, aviation, aviation. I got a plane, but man, what if I bought a new plane? And then I found out, dude, I could buy a new plane, write off the entire 
amount of that plane. I called Gulfstream. I called Gulfstream up and I said, hey, do you guys have a Gulfstream 550? And they're like, no, we don't have one until 18 months from now. I said, well, can I buy one today and take delivery in 18 months? Yeah. But you guys do some kind of thing where I actually took delivery today, but we, well, I don't actually physically get the plane for 18 months. He's like, no. And then that wouldn't work with the IRS because I actually have to take delivery of the plane. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, okay, man, can you please find me a plane? I got to have this before the end of the year. And he's like, Grant, we just don't have anything. We're, we're, everything we have is sold. So I hung up the phone, called my account, uh, called my bookkeeper uh, who, you know, transfers money for me here, here in the uh, company. And I said, look, I want you to wire a check. I want you to wire this amount of money to Gulfstream. What are you buying? I don't know. I don't even know if I'm going to buy something. Just wire this much money before two o'clock today. And then I called Rick back and I said, Hey, go to your accounting department. Rick's the, the, the sales guy over at Gulfstream. I said, go to your, go to your accounting department. I just sent you guys a little gift. Call me back when you get it. And, and he called me back. He's like, dude. I deal with the biggest players on the planet, bro. Nobody's ever done this. I mean, he sells planes to Coca-Cola and shit, right? Yeah. That, that's who buys this plane. A guy like me would never buy this plane. And, uh, you know, sure enough, they said, let me see what I can find. Because I, I, the plane was paid for. And, and they came back uh, eight days, eight, eight or nine days later. We took delivery of a Gulfstream 550. Uh, they flew it down here. I got on it, went to Charleston, took delivery of it, and then gave them back the plane and let them keep it in demo status for, for eight months. So what's demo status? Because I saw on the tail and everything, you had GC printed on it and everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, that that's because it took between December 26th and when you saw that video, that was in August. I didn't take delivery, ah, okay, okay. delivery, delivery of the plane until August, which – it was in demo status. This plane was going all over the world. It was a demo plane for them. It was a plane they used to sucker guys like me. Into <laughs> and so, um, uh, but to take for me to take delivery before the end of that year, seventeen, I guess it was. They flew it down here. You know, I signed the paperwork. We flew to. I have to take one trip in. So we mm-hmm. flew to Charleston. Came back here, they dropped me off, they took it to Savannah, put it back in demo status. In fact, in April, after I took delivery, the guy that runs uh, the furniture, uh, furniture, Todd Wanick, he's the chairman of Ashley Furniture. He calls me up and says, hey man, I'm on your plane right now. (laughs) He's like, I'm going from Tampa to China in your plane. Because it was being demoed, okay? And they own yeah, a bunch yeah. of And uh, he's like, I'm going to spill wine all over this plane. I said, dude, <laughs> please do. The more wine you spill, the, uh, the better chance I got to get new carpets from Gulfstream. <laughs> so he called me when he got to uh, Alaska, Fairbanks, Alaska. Called me. He, he got there like midnight. It's 3 o'clock in the morning for me or something. He's like, this plane is sick. And then he went on to China. In it. So that's what I mean by demo. But it was brand new plane. They it wasn't even for sale. Like it had eight hundred hours on it, but but they changed the carpets out. Yeah. They put in a door. I wanted a door in the back. Back here they didn't have a, a divider for the for the sleeping room. Uh-huh. And they put that in. That was eight hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> to put a door in. <laughs> okay, it's ridiculous. But look, let me tell you what I'm getting what I'm getting ready to do in this thing. Tell me. You, you don't just buy a plane for the IRS. Okay? You, you, nobody would just buy a plane to just save money with the IRS. We, we also had, I needed a bigger plane that could go further. My plane, my other plane could only go from Miami to LA. <laughs> this plane can go 14 hours without stopping. Yeah, so you can come see me. Come see me over in Dubai. That's about 14 hours. That's exactly right. I can fly from Miami to Dubai without stopping. So we're going to leave next two weeks from now. We're leaving. Where are we going? Okay. I'm going to go to Bucharest. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, that's 11 hours. Very very few planes could make that trip. Mm-hmm. There'll, be, there'll be five of us on the plane. It's, you know, it sleeps, what, 14 or 15? And uh, we'll get on the plane at 9 or 10 o'clock at night. We'll wake up at, uh, you know, we'll wake up and I'll drive to a deal and go do a gig. Or maybe yeah. I'm, I change my mind mid-flight and say, hey, let's go to Rome. 
Let's go to Rome beforehand. Uh, you know what? You know what? I'm feeling like Paris. Let's go to Paris. I got some business to do in Paris. <laughs> and when I get when I'm done with Bucharest, have you ever been to Bucharest? I have not. I've been to a lot of places. I haven't been there. Yeah, I don't know what the, what's in Bucharest. You know, like like if I'm not loving Bucharest, then I'm just going to get on the plane and say, guys, let's go to Dubai. Yeah. As long as the pilots have enough sleep, the plane can do its thing. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So the sleep's 14. It seats, what, 19 or something like that. What'd you do with the last jet? You got rid of it? You sold it or you kept it around? So the last jet. We sold the last jet. Took took 10 days to sell the last jet. Took me longer to get the new one than it did take to sell the other one. The other one was a great jet. Wow. Well, I like the pictures of you like standing up on the tail or like on the wings or something like that. Those are hilarious. Well, you see on that jet, I could not stand on the wings. On this jet, dude, I could do like, I could do workouts on this wing. <laughs> this wing right here holds 50,000 pounds of fuel. This wing holds 50,000 pounds of fuel. The two wings, when filled up, weigh more than my last plane. Now, I'm totally bragging right now. I'm stoked to hear this stuff. I think this is awesome. This is motivation. Like, And, and back to the purpose. Look, I, gr- I grew up, I never flew on a plane until I was 29 years old. Wow. Any wow. kind of plane. Yeah, I never flew on a private plane until I was 51 years old. So, and it was one little charter, a little, little short charter between Los Angeles and Las Vegas for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got, I got buddies that are chartering jets. They're looking at jets. I never did any of this stuff. Okay. The first time I bought it, the first time I flew cross country on a private jet, I owned the jet. I paid cash for it. I paid cash for that plane. So what was it just frustration with? flying commercial like or i couldn't expand my business anymore um and i certainly couldn't go international and i was at a place where we needed to to expand the brand the way the brand wants to be expanded right now i Mm -hmm. need i'm going to go to bucharest dubai singapore malaysia vietnam uh back to london then we're going to go to australia like i'm gonna spend the next three months traveling traveling the entire planet and we're not doing that with just for fun i'm not on a vacay vacays you know i'm happier working than i am on a vacay Mm -hmm. we're out meeting people uh we're going to be in dubai and meet the princess of uh and the minister entrepreneur what what, i mean i'm gonna meet some people you roll up in this beast and they're like dude the guy's for real yeah large sugar the guy in england he's like the apprentice guy in England, London. He's like the Donald Trump of London or something. He's a rich real estate guy. Well, I did a speaking gig with him in Wales, in Cardiff, Wales, uh, in what, November? I flew in, I flew in, we landed, his plane was on the ground and somebody said, hey, Cardone just landed in a Gulfstream 550. And Lord Sugar told, I hadn't even met the Lord Sugar yet, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm like, what are they gonna call me? They're going to call me the Lord, Lord G. So <laughs> Lord Sugar says, there's no way that guy owns a Gulfstream 550. Now, now buying one, one thing, buying, buying one is one thing. Keeping one is another thing. Okay. Writing, writing, paying cash for one is another thing. And I'm going to tell you what did all that. Not hard work. I got 14 companies here. Only one paid for that plane. Which one? Real estate? It's the real estate. Shit, shit. The real estate, bro, because the real estate, when I buy a piece of real estate, when I buy a $100 million piece of real estate, you're not going to take it away from me. Yeah. It's not going away. It's when will it be worth $200 million? Mm-hmm. It's not if, it's when, okay? Yeah, which one is that? that yeah, give, give, me, give me the Nexus. Give me the Nexus deal. Here, here's a deal I bought, because this doesn't have great pictures to it. Well, I mean, these are kind of good. Here's a deal I bought. That's part of the property, okay? Mm-hmm. It's 88 acres in Austin, Texas. Everybody knows where Austin is. Yeah. Doesn't matter if you're in Panama. Uh, that's 88 acres of land. I paid $100 million for that in November, uh, December of last year. Wow. Okay. It pays me 3 to 4%. Not a big return right now. I think it'll go to double that here in the next year. Mm-hmm. That piece of property I bought for $40 million. I, fu- I financed 60, cost me 100. 
But to me, in my mind, I put $40 million down. I'm going to earn $1.2 million in the first year. I'll probably earn $2.5 million in the second year. And I'm going to sell this. When I sell it, I'm going to sell this for $150 million. Mm -hmm. And I'll pick up probably $50 million. I'm not going to lose money on the deal. Yeah. It's just, when do I sell it? As long as I can keep it, this I will lose money on. Mm -hmm. Okay, this will go to zero. This plane will be in a junkyard in 40 years. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, it can introduce me to the world. Mm -hmm. I can't meet a princess doing a podcast. The billionaires are not listening to your podcast. <laughs> no, they it's true. They're not. They want to meet me in person. Look, dude, I'm coming to buy. I'm even getting my beard ready for the Middle East, dog. <laughs> so upkeep on the jet is what? Three million? Three million a year. Three million a year. That's actually not as much as I would have originally guessed. But I remember reading one of your books and talking you talking about how stupid it is to buy a jet. But then you're talking to some of your billionaire friends and they said it's the best investment they ever made. They know that it loses money. They know that it goes to zero over however many years, 40 years, but it's still one of the best investments they ever made. It's still a better, better investment than a house. Yeah. Like I, I know houses that cost as much as that jet does. Yeah. No, but nobody's going to come to my house to give me money. Like yeah. that's not where deals are done. That thing can get me to a deal. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference. This is the, this is the mentality, right? This is the mentality of the, 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 the wealthy. The wealthy are like, wait a minute, I'm going to use money. This is what I was saying earlier. Mm -hmm. Who's got my money? Mm -hmm. Not this money. This is already my money. Okay. This is just going down in value now. How do I use this to get me to wealth, to mm -hmm. connection, to fund my charities, to, to like expand my brand? People should be studying wealthy companies, not wealthy individuals. What's Coca-Cola doing? What's Google doing? Google doesn't value money. They're like, money's worthless, dude. Right? They, they, they buy the most expensive real estate on the planet. They, they pay extra money for salaries. Facebook pays $250 per employee. Right. So study what companies are doing. What's Berkshire do? Berkshire says, look, man, we're better to pay a high price for a great company than a low price for an average company. Mm -hmm. They're not buy low, sell high. And everything that Berkshire buys, Warren Buffett's Berkshire, produces cash flow. Mm -hmm. There's not a company he owns that doesn't produce cash flow. So talk to me a little bit about Cardone Capital. Because I think this is brilliant. We kind of chatted a little bit before we started recording here today about you making the switch from accredited investors to non-accredited investors or accepting both, I suppose. Yeah. So Cardone Capital was, I mean, it, it goes kind of back to what, what when I was growing up and I couldn't help my mom and I watched my mom scared about the plumber, scared about the contractor, scared about the financial planner, scared about the guy at Merrill Lynch. She was certain everybody was giving her bad advice. Mm -hmm. There's no way my mom was going to get a good deal. She just didn't know anything. How, how do you get a good deal? By the way, people aren't, people aren't taking advantage of people. People are taking advantage of themselves because they don't know how to get in the right vehicle. You just simply, the middle class, the everyday guy is never going to get a chance to get the right stuff. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the Lyft IPO, you know, who, who got to buy that in the beginning? It's private, private investors, private equity that went in first before. The money was even made before the IPO, right? That money was already made. So my mom was never going to get that shot. Okay. Johnny, the camera guy is never going to get that shot. Mm -hmm. uh, Mikkel, the podcaster is not going to get a shot to buy a $140 million piece of real estate that Blackstone's going to keep for their wealthy investors or see Blackstone's so greedy that Blackstone won't even give this kind of property. They won't even give this stuff to their billionaires. What they're going to do is they're going to convert it. They're going to take the piece of property and they're going to take that piece of property and they're going to put it in their little mixer. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then they're going to, they're going to spit it out, spit it out of the mixer. And they're going to be like this now 
this is now not real estate. It's a real estate investment trust. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very similar to, to in God we trust. Okay. And then they're going to sell paper to their billionaire friends and say, hey, this is a way to protect yourself now. It's called a REIT. Mm-hmm. Okay. Of course, you don't get the advantages of the real estate, which is the depreciation and the tax write-offs, but you get to stay liquid. Mm-hmm. That's what they sell you now. You see, this is another mythology about wealth. Okay, uh, well, you're going to be you're going to be liquid now. Mm-hmm. You can get your money back anytime you want. Okay, that's what they tell grandmothers and rich people. Okay, that's what I want. And so my mom would buy this because she could be liquid the next day because they scared the shit out of her. Okay, see, I'm not liquid right here. So when people invest with me with Cardone Capital, we don't do the little magic spell. Mm-hmm. It's like you're a partner with me on that deal. Mm-hmm. Which is this, you get the cash flow. If I distribute to me, I distribute to every investor. It doesn't matter whether they put in 5000 or 500000 mm-hmm. I had a guy walk in here Monday, put, gave me $5 million. He's like, put $5 million in your fund. Personal money. When I distribute to me, I distribute to him. If I got $5 million in, he gets the same distribution that I get. Mm-hmm. So there's no backdoor deals here like play, creative accounting or funny funny numbers or anything like this. There's nothing. Okay, I get a fee to manage the property. Yeah. I, and I get a percentage if we score. Mm-hmm. So so I'm going to get rich off. There's not one deal. I'm going to I'm going to put a bunch of these deals together. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm going to disrupt basically what Blackstone's doing. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm not picking on Blackstone, but they they all do the same thing. And and what that does is it creates a vacuum for, for people to actually be invested in this piece of real estate, not just the paper. And most people look, most people that I talk to, they just simply don't have time to find deals, don't have time to fund deals, don't have the credit to get financing on the deal. So what do they do? They end up buying deals the way I did on a budget. Well, now people on a budget can actually give me the money, go back to their job, focus on their job or their podcasting or whatever they're doing, focus on your job, put the money in the fund, Get paid every month, not every quarter. Blackstone pays every quarter. I pay every month. Mm-hmm. People should get money monthly. Okay? And then I'm in control. I decide. What you're changing with your money is this. I'm in full control. I get to decide when we sell, when we refinance, if we ever sell. So so people that are partnering with me at CardoneCapital.com, they're, they're trusting that I'm going to do the right thing. Now, the, the last thing I'll say about it is this. The other thing that's different is that I buy the deal before the investors come into the deal. So like when I bought this deal, I bought it with my money. And then I said, guys, this fund's open. It's going to be open for about three weeks. It, uh, it actually filled up in seven days. Um, and, and then we closed the fund. I think there's, I don't know, 11 or 12 investors in that deal. So with a lot of these deals, when you're buying it, say for ease of numbers, you pay $100 million for something. You're going in buying it for $100 million, and then you are selling a certain percentage of it off to your investors. Are you instantly putting equity on it, like now selling it as if it was worth 120 Do you put the value add before or the value add after? I, I'll give you the math on this deal. I paid, a, I paid $100 million for that deal. Uh, I think we spent another two million. We put another two million in for rehab, so we're yeah. in at one hundred two. I finance the 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 bank. In this case, it was Fannie Mae gave mm-hmm. me a loan for sixty million dollars. Mm-hmm. Thereabouts. Don't hold me to that exactly. No, no, no. Just ease of numbers. Yeah. I, I put forty two million dollars of my money down. I got a thirty year loan on it. Mm-hmm. Ten years interest only. For the first ten years, we don't have any change in payments. Mm-hmm. And then what I did was once I closed. Once I closed the deal, then I told my investors, hey, guys, if you want to invest in the deal, I have $42 million, up to $42 million of equity that you can get on this deal. Okay? The value of the property, when they come in, when you come in, whether it's 5000 or 500 is $102 million. Yeah. I don't mark it up. Mm-hmm. Okay? So if I sell that for $140 million, like I think I will, I get 35% of the profit above 6% for the accredited investors Mm -hmm. and 35% above 
anything that I pay the non-accredited. Okay. So I don't get a markup until we sell it. Yeah. I have my job is to improve the value of the property. Now, keep in mind, I did not know, Mikhail, when I buy a deal, I do not know if anybody's going to invest with me. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is very, very important. Blackstone's already got the money sitting over there, dude. They're buying deals with other people's money every day. I'm yeah. buying deals with my money, not knowing if you will invest with me or if anybody will invest with me. And then I tell people, hey, guys, you got, you know, three weeks to invest in this deal. After three weeks, I'm definitely going to mark it up. Yeah. Because I'm not going to let somebody come in three years later after I've done all the work to come yeah. in the same place that I did. And so when you usually buy places like this, do you try to buy places that are not occupied and then use your own social media and things like this to be the value add and bring, the, bring it up or how? No, mo mo most of the places, we, we don't buy places that are not close to stabilization, meaning somewhere in the 90% range rented. Wow. I've never seen investments like this before because I've been around investing a long time and I've never seen this kind of stuff. So this is brilliant. I'm telling you, I'm going to disrupt the real estate space. We, we raised $400 million. I'm sorry, we did $400 million in deals last year, raised $130 million. I've raised $180 million already this year. Okay. And we've already, we're, we're under contract for, I don't know, a quarter of a billion dollars worth of deals right now. I should be able to close these deals. We, I, I'll probably do another billion dollars in real estate transactions this year. And international people haven't found out about it yet. Okay. Yeah. We're set up for international money. And so when I start doing this traveling to Bucharest and Dubai and Singapore and Malaysia, everybody, forget the United States, the rest of the world wants to invest in America. Mm -hmm. You might not want to live here. I don't, I don't want to pay taxes there, but brilliant. So if people want to find out more information about this, Grant. Yeah, CardoneCapital.com. What you do is you go register at CardoneCapital.com. They also should, should use the link, CardoneCapital.com forward slash book. And I'll send them my book for free as long as they're here in the States. Um, I think they got to pay the shipping. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Uh, I'll send them this book because I'd like every investor to read the book so you understand um, how I'm buying stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, people should be, should, should understand what their partner's doing. So there's a very precise formula that I use to buy real estate that's gotten me through all economic cycles and, and allows me to, you know, provide cash flow for, for myself and my family every month. So cardonecapital.com, Cardone Capital. You should, first thing you should do is fill out the paperwork there. So you're like registered mm -hmm. and, and, and interested because that takes a second longer than sending me money. So once you do the paperwork, then we'll, we'll say, we'll start uh, informing you of deals that we're bringing to the market. Brilliant. And I'll make sure I have all the links to these at expatmoneyshow.com under Grant's episode. Grant, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. You're the man. I appreciate you so much. We'll do this again sometime. Maybe when I'm, I'm in Dubai, we'll meet up. Absolutely. Sounds good. Thanks very much, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Secret gold vaults in Asia, offshore bank accounts in tax havens, investing in timber plantations in Central America, obtaining a second passport, speaking multiple languages, and first-class travel around the world excite you, then you must pick up a copy of my brand new book, Expat Secrets, on Amazon today. Just go to expatsecretsbook.com. That's expatsecretsbook.com. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming 
to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.